1: Welcome to the Football by Football podcast. Back to the Football by Football podcast. This is the college football breakdown show we do each and every week. Joined as always by Brady Quinn, former NFL and Notre Dame quarterback. Brady, what's going on?
0: Not much, Matt. Just a lot going on in the college football realm uh, this week.
1: Yeah, it's a goofy week, buddy. We, we, we spend most of our time these weeks talking about a little bit on the games that have just happened, looking forward to the next week's games, talking rankings, maybe touching on a little Heisman. That's been our formula. That's the stuff we want to get to you guys. But this was a weird week in college football. Some huge pieces of news, any one of which would have been enough to really fill up a week of, of college football talk But in this particular week, we have a monster uh, situation going on at USC, and that's where we are start. Obviously, uh, having Steve Sarkeesian go through what he's gone through and then now walk away and then get fired uh, is one of the weirdest things you'll see. Just sort of your initial reaction to when you heard that news, Brady.
0: Uh, Well, clearly we saw this before the season that uh, Coach Sarkeesian had a bit of an issue. Um, He showed it at at a booster event where he went off and said some foul language. Um, I don't necessarily know that the athletic director, Pat Hayden, or even the university took it all that seriously. I think his punishment ended up being him doing up-downs or something like that in front of the leaders of the football (laughs) team. Uh, So they almost kind of briefed over it. But at some point, you've got to put the onus on the athletic director, Pat Hayden. He's had a number of hires now that haven't worked out. He had to have known that this was an issue. Or if he didn't know this was an issue, then he didn't vet his head coaching candidate enough as part of the process. And, oh, by the way, how did Coach Sarkeesian find out about he was getting fired? Through text messages from friends. He was actually flying uh, to a treatment facility at the time, and Pat Hayden didn't even have the opportunity to wait until he talked to him on the phone. It was through text messages and other people informing him, which is just ridiculous. So, you know, obviously, Coach sarkeesian has gone now, but I think Pat Hayden's going to be gone as well after this year, or at least should be. And the unfortunate part about that for USC is, they're not going to be able to find a head coach until they fill that athletic director spot. Or if I was a head coach, I wouldn't want an athletic director in Pat Hayden, who I don't necessarily think is going to be around very long, to be the guy hiring me. Because then you're going to have to have, to have a new AD coming at some point, and you're not going to be his guy.
1: Yeah. Uh, you touched a lot of the hot points here. It's it's a mess. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's really any way around it. But it, well, I was kind of excited to bring this topic up with you and just sort of do this from a player's perspective is – we, we all understand that you know alcohol is a part of college football and I, I don't mean that in that you know every guy's a drinker every guy's a boozer but it's an incredibly stressful job but what sounds like the situation going on with Sark is just next level like you know having a beer after a long week of of game planning or whatever and, and getting through a big victory or a loss or whatever maybe even on the team flight home because he's an adult I'm not talking about the kids but uh that's that's pretty normal. I mean, that was my that was my experience in college football. The coaching staffs like to un, you know unwind afterwards. But the idea that this had gotten to sort of the level it was, where you know he's showing up intoxicated, apparently the next morning. Uh, there, were, there were reports from some of the uh, the USC outlets that uh, he actually showed up in a, in a player huddle on the field in game with the issue. Uh, those are the kind of things to me that, and I, I think that report actually had come from the Arizona State game, which wasn't this week. So just to me, the, the bizarre thing and that that would point back to Pat Hayden, as you're mentioning, is that these things shouldn't have been like, oh, a bomb got dropped on our lap and we have to respond to it. A lot of this is stuff that should have come forward much sooner or, or sort of should have been seen. The vetting on the front end to come from Washington, if this had been an issue with him, maybe if you would known that, then take it a little more serious when you had the sort of uh, the, the pep rally thing earlier in the year. I just look at this and go, man. I, I'm a I'm a parent of of a five star recruit, and we know Sark recruited well. I mean, that's that's what, something he's done exceptionally well. But if I'm one of these other parents, I'm a little freaked out about sending my kid out there. A, because as you mentioned, that the AD just might not have great I don't know judgment. And B, good lord, I, I'm a little worried. I just want my kid to go play football, get a great education, and 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 do some big things. Maybe go to the NFL. If you're that kind of recruit. Uh and I'm worried about his coach is drunk, you know? So, and again, yeah. Sark's out, yeah. out the door, so that's no longer an issue. But what's the judgment of the guy that's going to put the next guy in? You know, maybe maybe that's enough. If I'm just sitting here de- determining, is he going go to go USC? Is my kid going to go to Texas? Go to Notre Dame. That there right, be, might be just enough of a little thing in the back of my head to make me make a different decision.
0: Well, the juxtaposition to, to what you're saying, though, is they actually had a five-star recruit decommit because Sark wasn't going to be last year, a linebacker named Dalen Hayes. Um, so, you know, it, it, we talk about the adverse effects of, you know, what would happen considering our coaches is maybe having a personal issue with drinking. Um, but clearly this player felt like it wasn't about that. He wanted to go play for Sark. He wanted to, uh, he, you know, he liked what he brought to the table as a coach. Now that he's not there anymore, Dalen Hayes has opened up in his recruiting process. But there's a couple uh, points I want to make real quick. You know, yep. Coach Sarkeesian is battling something personal, and not only just with maybe about with alcoholism, but also the fact he's going through a divorce. And it's, exactly. it's hard, and yeah. I think a lot of times we look at coaches and think that they don't have personalized they're, uh, personalized, they're not human beings, and they don't have struggles like everyone else, no different than players. And unfortunately, that's just not the case. Uh, so I really hope uh, Steve Sarkeesian the best. He's a fantastic coach, um, and, and you hope that he can get this fixed. The other end of things is, what does USC go now? They have a really tough schedule down the right. stretch. Um, they still have to play the likes. They're going to Notre Dame this week. They still have to play UCLA at the end of the season, Stanford in between that. Um, they have another tough game, stage versus Arizona uh, as well. So they've got some tough matchups ahead. Um, and, and then you look at this team that just got all off this ban from um, you know losing some of their scholarships. Well, guess what? You better believe none of those USC coaches are going to be recruiting during the season. You can say the same for South yeah. Carolina. as That's Steve's step down because all these coaches, all they care about is putting food on the table for their families and finding their next job and why would you want to recruit a kid to a school that you might have to compete against or that you're not going to be any longer so these guys aren't going to be recruiting anymore this season USC is in a bit of a hole now now they're gonna have to really climb their way out it might take a little while
1: we talked about this with Matt Leonard early in the season we we had on oftentimes USC kind of you know recruits itself the the place the the environment all the history uh but this is a weird situation Uh, and again I yeah. And the girls, exactly. Uh, and you know, what? It, this kind of swings me back, though, to that original idea where uh, if if Sark's going through a divorce, if he's having sort of these issues and, 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 and alcohol happens to be his crutch, doesn't that sort of fall back to management? Just knowing that, you know. It, college football is extremely stressful. Anyway, I don't think this is something that, that fans would be aware of or just observers of the game. Like the stuff that goes on behind closed doors, you're, you're fighting, clawing, scratching every day and day out, you throw in something like a, a big personal issue, like a divorce. And that's a cauldron uh, of sort of bad things that could happen. So if you have sort of a vulnerable situation, it's something that you need to nip in the bud before it gets to this level. It just seems like this, this had been percolating and it, to let it get to the point where it, it, takes itself on field that that just to me seems yeah it's a sark issue but clearly he's going through something too you got to get someone else to intervene before it gets to that level or if it does then this becomes a giant national story and i think it's it, it taints usc a bit at least it would put in my mind as a parent of one of these top kids i would say wow where where am i sending uh, my kid the one one point i would make real quick though that that i wonder if anything's going to happen because usc's president has come out and really sort of backed Pat Hayden. So he sounds like he's all on the Hayden train. So this, this may not actually happen. Uh, you know, obviously the issues with the, the coaching staff they had before, uh, they've done this. They've made two real bad hires, or at least two hires that didn't work out. Uh, the thing that I, I wonder as far as how they re- respond in-game is, is some of these kids, because it has happened before with Lane Kiffen with an in-season sort of change, have actually gone through this. <laughs> so to see that they, they might actually be acclimated to trying to do this sort of sudden change thing and play okay. And they responded pretty well the last time to the new staff that was in, or at least the the guys that moved up the chain. So they may handle it well. I, I don't. I don't know. It's it, it's an interesting situation. But because Pat Hayden has done such a great job with the other parts of the job, as far as the way he works with alumni, the way he sort of canoodles and all those kinds of things, and raises funds, and you know is is really well loved and revered there. But you're right. This is this is two huge black marks uh, on, on his on his side. So I don't know. It, it's a very difficult decision. You would think if it was just sort of black and white nuts and bolts. Oh for two. Got to get someone else and probably outside the USC system. But uh, we'll see how that all goes.
0: No, yeah, I was actually going yeah, to pivot and say, you know, we never really know what goes on behind closed doors. And that makes me pivot to South Carolina, the head coach, Steve Spurrier, uh, resigning. You know, you wonder if someone, right. uh, whether it was an athletic director or a president, might have asked him to step down. And they knew that he could right. uh, easily say that he was going to resign and they don't have to fire him. So they don't take the publicity hit. And he's so, you know, Steve, Steve Spurrier has been so beloved amongst the media because of his SEC media days and all the headlines he puts out there and all the comments um, after games, they so beloved that They kind of knew that he could almost kind of step away uh, from the head coaching position and not take a whole lot of flack where, you know, Matt, I think most head coaches probably would, um, probably would have gotten a lot of flack and they quit on their team. But with Steve Spurrier, because of the success he had uh, at Florida and at Duke and even at South Carolina, um, he had a nice stretch from 2011, 2013, Uh, I think you would have said that he kind of got the easy way out, but instead he resigns because things aren't working out. And by the way, he didn't say he's retiring. He said he's resigning. So he's kind of keeping his hat out there to be in the ring in in some sort of coaching capacity somewhere. uh, And you always wonder uh, how that will come about after the season.
1: Yeah, he alluded to possibly doing high school football. He's like, I'm going to get out of coaching, but maybe not entirely. Maybe do high school. Uh, that's still coaching, but it, obviously at a much lower profile. Uh, you know, it could, could he fall into sort of a Bobby Bowden sort of mentor for the university kind of thing or something? You know, like, as you mentioned, who knows what those sort of behind the scenes conversations were and how they they wanted to make this go down. I, I'm, I'm a little different uh, on my feelings on this we all know how revered Steve Spurrier was and the national reaction from a lot of media members, I think has been overwhelmingly sort of positive. We'll we'll keep this at arm's length. You you treat Steve differently than you would treat any other coach that did the exact same thing as he did. I don't like that for, for simply the reason that, uh, you know, the excuse is kind of used on behalf of how incredibly uh, competitive Steve is. And that's that's a way to explain why he just, you know, he couldn't do this. He wouldn't be willing to do this if it wasn't going to go well. And and he's, he's looking at a situation now where they may not win another game in the SEC. They got Vanderbilt as a possibility. There's a good chance they could go maybe he has a one or two win team on the sec side. And, you know, with a super hyper competitive guy like Steve, he may have that in his head that I don't want to go out that way. The problem with that rationale with me though, is, is what you're teaching the kids, uh, a kid who's super competitive and he's on a bad team. He's okay to quit because that's below his standard. Like I, I just, I don't, I don't like that. And I get, Trust me, the the resume that Steve has put forward, all the resume of stuff in the world that a guy could have, but it's the messaging. Uh, It reminds me of uh, the Joe Paterno stuff. And again, obviously I understand that Quitting on a football team in midseason is different than the the chaotic situation they had there. But I always looked up to Joe Paterno in a certain regard as a player because of the ethics and because of the what I thought he stood for and all those kinds of things. But when you have that sort of ugly story at the tail end, it, it makes you look differently. And if, if I'm a kid who had been in that locker room and I'd heard Steve Spurrier tell me, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. I don't care what the score is. I don't care what the situation is. We're going to fight this week. Da, da, da. And then that happens in season. Even if, as you're saying, there's there's a good reason for why you're doing it, pressure from a president, wanting to sort of smooth the transition for recruiting in season because i got to get big recruiting weekend coming up, whatever the answer is, and it could be a great answer, I don't like it as an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid because I'm thinking in my head, that's not what you told me to do.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. And I don't think um, from a recruiting standpoint, we just talked about with Coach Sarkett, southern cow it obviously doesn't benefit the program they actually lost a recruit as well and pj blue who is a i think a four-star defensive back recruit uh the day that coach Spurrier announced that he was resigning he decommitted from the school and is moving on so um right. you know there's a number of examples i think one of the examples too you're pointing out and that we kind of mentioned briefly was when a coach resigns. usually there's a head coach that's going to come and he's not going to really hold over a lot of coaches on that staff he wants to create a new culture, bring in guys that he's um, taught before and all that, and he knows that they don't know how to implement his system. So a lot of these coaches at South Carolina now, I know Sean Elliott took over as the interim head coach, but they're not going to be around next season. And not only do we talk about the ramifications that it has on recruiting and these guys not wanting to recruit kids to a school they're not going to be at, but on top of it, they're kind of more preoccupied, again, with finding their own job and not necessarily coaching these kids quite as much. You know, I played – uh, on the team at Notre Dame, my sophomore year, our coach was fired at the end of the season. We went 6-5, and five, won some games we weren't supposed to, and then lost some games we should have won, um, and ended up being one of those teams that was 6-5, and five, got a bid to a bowl game, fired our coach, and then all of a sudden we have a month of practices with an interim head coach. And you better believe during that period in time, all those coaches were worried about their next job, their families, their needs, and not necessarily ours. It was extremely um, loose as far as the practice and game planning and all that sort of thing there wasn't, wasn't as much emphasis placed on the games quite as much as the next two years when we had Charlie Weiss and we're playing the BCS games, and all of a sudden we're trying to prepare to be one of those top five teams, top uh, couple teams in the country. So uh, a, a conti- entirely different transition that a lot of those South Carolina kids are going to have to deal with, not only from the, the, the aspect of, hey, our coach kind of quit on us, and then it's a bad example, but now fundamentally and technically they can't allow those things to go to the wayside because the coaches aren't coaching them as hard.
1: Right. And that's that's the that's the sort of nuts and bolts of what's actually happening, what what the real ramifications are of this. And I think those are things I think players are more sensitive to because you feel them, you know, on a day to day basis. And I guess we do get that in college football, these things, there's always going to be transition, especially when you're talking about 70 year old plus coaches. I think if you're an 18 year old kid and you're committing to a place like that, I think in the back of your, your head or your parents head has to be the thought that maybe this could happen sometimes in the four or five years I'm here. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's always, it's never good. I, I don't think there's ever a situation where it's like, here's the ideal way to go out just as Bobby B- Bowden did it or, or whatever the other, uh, you know, Bo Schimbleck or not a bad example, but I mean, the point is it's never perfect. I just don't like this idea. Now, and I say a Spurrier had done this in camp. Uh, maybe, I, maybe, maybe I, I, I think of it a little differently. Um, uh, you know, if he if he'd have committed to the off season and then all of a sudden he says I don't have it, you know, in in August before they've actually started games, I think I might think of that just a little bit differently. But this has more of a feel of like I'm getting out because it's not going my way, and that to me says petulance. And and I know that's not necessarily how he is, but I don't like a guy getting off the hook and that uh, I'm so competitive that you know I get to kick the the, the Nintendo 64 and make it reset, you know, <laughs> because it's not going my way. Yeah, it yeah. feels like if it feels that way. I don't, I, and I just I, I feel like as a player, uh, y- we have a much different perspective than I. in again, you and I obviously work in the media, so we're media members that we're players. But I think a lot of times people are more accepting of quitting or doing things in a way that's not very football who don't have a background in football. I've heard a lot of media members that I respect quite a bit. I think they've got good insight on big picture items, uh, but that don't have a football background, and it's clear. And they're more than willing to let these things go by the wayside because, you know, the ethic of team and what sort of the ramifications you you have, or what the ramifications are of the the choices you make, they they don't have that background. They don't feel as strongly about it. They don't know about team and what football really stands for. So I, I think they're willing to point to Resume and say, because he's done so much it's okay if he does it this way i don't think that's the point i think that badly misses the point i think in football you have a legacy and what you do on the very last at bat matters because it 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 may undermine what you did in all the others so it's just maybe a little yeah. different player perspective i think if if you're in that room now you you there'll uh-huh. be those side conversations amongst players at a house party at a dorm you know at something else where it's like was everything he told us bs you know, And yeah. some, maybe some will feel that way and maybe some won't. But uh, I'm sure those thoughts are at least circulating on campus.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, you look at coaches in general at any level. And I think a lot of people uh, can harp on a coach who has a bad attitude towards the media. Like, like for example, Bill Belichick, you know very well, Matt. Sure. If he didn't have as much success as he's had, the media would not find him quite as endearing. Now it's like because he's had so much success and because he's so good, People just know Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick. So we're on to Cincinnati becomes a running joke almost in the media where people kind of laugh about it. They make little videos about it. To me, Steve Spurrier is kind of the same way. He was so beloved amongst the media for the way he handled things and how open and honest he was uh, and successful that they kind of give him this free pass. I mean, and maybe he'll build a lot of that at Florida. And as we kind of pivot to another big story out of Florida with quarterback Will Greer testing positive for PEDs, uh, and taking stuff over the table or over the counter, as he re- as he claims and recalls, because he wanted to put on weight. I think someone reported that he wanted to put on like 40 pounds. He was 170 when they came in. Now he's 210, which is a bit inaccurate. I think he was he actually was like 190 when he got to Florida and wanted to put on more weight and put on maybe 20 pounds. But either way, I- I'm curious to get uh, your idea of what you think of all this, Matt, because I find it one a bit ridiculous as a quarterback. That you feel like you need to take PEDs to put on uh, more weight. One, because you're a quarterback, and that's not going to matter quite as much uh, in the overall skill set that you need to be successful. And then, two, now that the NCAA has changed things and you have these unlimited meal plans, unlimited supplements, and you've got strength staff and nutritionists now who really um, have all these resources for you to check out and make sure supplements um, are, are abiding by the USADA rules, right, for the anti doping and the drug testing in the NCAA, but also. Um, they can actually get you pretty much whatever you want for the most part within the guidelines of what the NCAA allows. So it's just a bit surprising to me that you can see a quarterback who's had Florida on a roll now for the past few weeks put himself in a scenario where he can lose it all uh, by making one dumb decision.
1: Yeah, the first thing that jumped off the off the screen to me when I when I heard that news is is kind of I think what you're intimating that with he's at the kind of program where you wouldn't need to do it, you know, it for this reason you have those resources available to you. When I hear over the counter, as a college kid, that means I paid. <laughs> over the counter means I'm the one that went and bought that thing over the counter. <laughs> and as a college kid, you don't have a lot of cash, you know, and you don't need to be going to try to put together something as an NFL guy would to, to sort of, you know, have some sort of off-season plan to accomplish some sort of body goal. You're at a college that's committed to making that happen. Now, if he needed to gain weight, as a freshman, I was skinny as hell. I mean, I was a 190-pound, 190 195-pound kid that actually played uh, free safety, strong safety my first year as a, as a true freshman in college, in part why I had a difficulty uh, getting recruited by some of the bigger-time teams. I had all the all the high school awards, but I was real thin, you know, 6'4". What's a 6'4 safety? I mean, that's just weird. I couldn't figure out what I was. So I did come to campus as a freshman with that same pressure to put on weight quickly. Uh, and and I did. I think I got maybe 20 to 25 pounds in that first year. And the way I did it at the time was, yes, the meal plans. But kids who were light and skinny at that age, uh, you, you know, it, you can talk about eating food all, all day long. That doesn't always do it. You need, do need a trigger. Of some sort, and usually that's creatine or something silly like that, which I think is dangerous now because I had a ton of cramping problems with it. But maybe it's just introducing a ton of protein shakes or whatever it is, changing your diet some way, uh, getting yourself on some sort of fuel that helps you put it on, and then some of that's going to come natural. I mean, 17, 18 year old kids grow quick, uh, but trying to expediate the process, I think that's that's a pretty normal thing. But as you mentioned, Brady, and you would know much better than me. It's not the most important thing at the quarterback position, unless of course the kid's just frail, you know, and he's going to he's risking injury by not being a little heavier. But if that's not the case, it just seems like it seems dumb. It seems reckless. And and again, if everything, every decision I made at 17 and 18 years old was put on blast, it would be it'd be an embarrassing situation. So I'm not going to hammer yeah. the kid too much. But, uh, you know, it, I, what I would just simply say is he's in a place where you you would think you would never need to make that decision. You, you would you it would it should be pretty easy to not have that particular screw up. So, uh, you mentioned that the, the way that those guys have been ascending. Now, Florida has looked excellent. How do you now see them making the transition to the other QB? I, I think this is a, a a team that wasn't so QB defend, dependent, but uh, it's obviously going to be a change. Uh, am I? I'm blanking on the kid's name. Is it Pool? The uh, the little wide receiver uh, that's it, just been crushing things. Is that yeah, the right name? Yeah,
0: it's been Poole. and yeah. And then I was going to say, uh, you know, Treon Harris is, is quarterback is Yeah, Treon Harris, new guy, yeah. It, it, I'll be a little bit curious to see how they transition because they kind of gave him some shots earlier in the season and he didn't look quite as good as uh, Will Greer. But actually, how Will Greer got the job in the first place was he took over when Treon Harris got suspended. So that was kind of his opportunity. He took over. Now, Treon Harris try to seize the opportunity. Um, And then on the flip side of all this, you know, I wonder, Matt, would you lose the respect for me if I'm the leader? I'm the guy who's kind of helped lead you along with the defense. Defense has been playing great. But I, I'm one of those leaders who's been preaching all these things in the locker room, and then I go make a mistake like this, and we can talk about it being a mistake, man. But everyone uses the "oh, I bought it over the counter, I didn't know." It's kind of that, right. you know, that time and, uh, and that day and age where everyone should know, right? Do you lose respect for a oh, leader yeah. it's kind of yeah. like you're talking about with Spurrier? Like, is this is this BS to you if if a quarterback comes in, and is preaching all these things to you as a leader, but then is cheating behind the scenes?
1: it might uh i guess it just kind of depends on the situation if 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 i you know you're going to have all the details if you're a kid in that locker room we're going to hear like the news story about he took blank he's going to have the opportunity to go to those guys that might distrust what the story was and say hey here it is you've probably seen it yourself at the the grocery store down the street that's where i got it I'm an idiot, you know, it's just, I think it's a matter of contrition, I think it's a matter of being completely transparent with what happened and what went down, and figuring out if it was just a, a dumbass move, or if it was something a little more sinister, and it's something that makes you not now trustworthy, because uh, the timing just sucks, or you were reckless, or something like that, so I think the details would probably matter to me more than anything, uh, especially when, you know, you, you know there's those off-campus fights and, you know, drinking this and that. And there's always going to be some weird stories in college. So your judgment is sort of always put on under the microscope amongst your peers. But if you're going through it together, uh, and I think there's also an issue here of a pretty young quarterback uh, where if I'm a, a veteran defensive player, I'm probably not to the point yet, even though he's playing real well and he plays the most important position on the team, I'm probably not at the point where I'm considering him a leader of mine. I don't know if if that's the wrong way to say it, but that that's probably the point of view. It's like, you're great that he's leading the offense, but my job. Doesn't, doesn't tears it out. Especially as you mentioned in a quarterback situation, that was a little bit in flux because of other issues. I, the one thing I went back is I find out, okay, the Greer thing happened and where does, where does, where does Florida's sort of, uh, outlook sort of sit now does this change things dramatically and going back and watching some of the recent games watching some of the plays they had with pool as as efficient as grew has been as, as effective as he's been in this short stretch a lot of it was catch and run and a lot of that was just sort of getting it in that dude's hands and watching him explode almost in sort of a darren sproles playing wide receiver kind of feel so i'm wondering if in the in the transition here it is seamless you know it's not trying to guess whether or not uh you know uh JT Barrett is going to be able to do the same things that, that the quarterback before him did, or that Cardell Jones is going to be able to implement the exact same stuff because he's sitting back and gun and can he read the field and can he get the shot plays and all that? There's, there's a catch and run element to what Florida does where it's just better athlete with a ball in his hands that maybe the transition is relatively seamless. Are they still an sec favorite? I don't know. Maybe that changes now and isn't, is in the balance, but I don't think I suddenly feel different about Florida here than if maybe this was another team.
0: Yeah, and I think I would have said that, you know, if Will Greer was still the quarterback, though, uh, with the way the defense has been played, and you talked about pulling his ability, I would have still said they would, have, they would have been the favorite to win the SEC East to me. Now, uh, with Greer out and some indecision there, I'm still curious to see how Treon Harris will play once he does get his opportunity because they seem to be a different offense. It's almost as if Treon Harris couldn't get pulled the ball to allow him to make uh, plays in space, and the team wasn't really able to play off of their offense. So then that flips to a team like Georgia now where the SEC East is kind of wide open, all but wait. Nick Chubb, their, their star running back, a Heisman Trophy candidate, ends up tearing up uh, his knees out for the season now. And, he, and, he's, and he's one of the sophomores, Matt, that we talk about, who has the ability to go in and play in the NFL right away. And it makes you then yeah. look across the way at LSU with Leonard Fournette, who's having an unbelievable year. And even another running back in Florida State's Dalvin Cook, who doesn't get as much praise he's another right. sophomore who is putting up just as good of numbers, just as much production. And it, it makes you think, should these guys sit out a year or at least petition to the NCAA to have an opportunity to come out after the season? Because to me, Matt, they're a pretty much a depreciating asset. When you, when you look right. at a running back, once they show they have ability to play at the collegiate level, all those hits add up. And every scout and evaluator is basically looking at how many hits, how many carries, how much wear and tear do they have coming into the draft. Uh, and you obviously, you know, in a situation for Chubb where he gets hurt and has a knee injury, he might never be the same again.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like the we we always hear about this as players. I mean, even when I was in the NFL, you there was sort of this uh, wink wink thing about USC quarterbacks because they'd had a poor track record. But you gotta you gotta evaluate the individual kid. There was always this thing about Alabama running backs because they're workhorses. They did so much production in college. Is it going to translate? or Are they too beat up? And again, I, I say that knowing that I'm speaking in stereotypes, where each individual USC quarterback was his own guy, and it might not be the same. Each individual Alabama running back. May have had a different scenario and it might not be the same but you do get to that situation now where you know if you've proven what you've proven uh and chubb would be one of those cases especially in the absence of uh his own teammate a year ago where he had really started to show out and people had no no problem signing uh signing Gurley even without seeing more of him so I, I think there's a template out there to say that hey if you've peaked and shown it uh going back doesn't help you i, I don't i it'd be interesting to see if there's really ever been a situation where that whole go back and prove you still got it thing works it's more just try to get the NFL to disprove to themselves that you are the same player <laughs> you know it's almost like
0: yeah, yeah. there's
1: an expectation there's an expectation that you will come back from that ACL and because we've seen it happen again especially if you're a, a top end runner
0: yeah and look I think when a lot of people look at running backs nowadays at least in the NFL uh, it's very rare that you see them go in the first round because they're not so much of a centerpiece to offenses. I personally believe you got to have balance. You got to have a running back or at least two. Um, But unfortunately that's just not the day and age we're in anymore. The NFL being more of a passing league. Uh, So then you look at these running backs in college and you kind of say to yourself, all right, well, what what are the possibilities of what they can do right to protect themselves and prolong their career. Once they get to the NFL, they can either sit out a year, right. And take the the flack from the media and maybe their teammates or whoever else who's upset that they're not going to be a part of their team. And, uh, you know, try to hold off on that wear and tear and then go run a fast 40 and see how high you can get drafted. Remain fresh. Right. And, and then really, you make all your money in your second contract. I mean, that's the big contract that every player wants to get to, not necessarily even the first one, depending on how high you get drafted. Um, so there's, there's that avenue. Then there's the other avenue of you take out an insurance policy and go play. And that insurance yeah. policy allows you the opportunity that if you get hurt, you basically, uh, it, it'll value you at whatever you would have made had you not got hurt versus where you got drafted. Like uh, cornerback, Ipho Ekpre, old move for the Browns. He was a first-round yep. grade cornerback, got hurt towards ACL, ended up dra- falling to the sixth round. He actually uh, hit on his insurance balls. He got that money. That was significant. He first, was one yeah. of the first players to do so. Uh, so so that's another avenue that I think running backs can go to. But the problem with that is, Matt, they don't get to that second contract usually, right? We look at a guy like right. Marcus Lattimore. Never really never really panned out like that. Willis McGahee, although had a nice, very nice career, very productive career, he wasn't the same player as he was in Miami. I mean, after he tore his ACL, that's just a fact. He didn't have the same burst, didn't have the same explosion. And he actually had an insurance policy as well um, that I'm not even sure that he was able to hit on uh, with when he was drafted. Uh, so that's obviously the other avenue. And then you can just go ahead and risk it all and just go play because you're a competitor because that's what you came there to do, uh, not take out <laughs> an insurance policy, which I find hard, hard to believe. Um, considering the universities will actually pay for this now for you. They'll pay the premium, right. which was not the case when I was playing, and I wish it was. Um,
1: do you know, do you know but, off the top was, of your head, Brady, did, do you know off the top of your head did Chubb carry one? I, I'd be curious just if uh, watching Gurley go through the same thing at the same university, does he have those thoughts of, like, holy cow, i got to take care of myself as well? You, is there any sort of known news about I, him carrying something like that?
0: I have no idea if he did or did not. But I can tell you this, the reason why he wouldn't have would be because he knows he's not draft eligible after this year. I took out a I small insurance policy um, after my sophomore year going into my junior year because I knew I was draft eligible after that year. And I really hadn't done that much in college at that point in time, but it only makes sense from a business decision. Then going into my right. senior year when I decided to come back, I took out a much, much bigger policy to kind of hedge my bets in, in that way because I wanted to finish my education and try to have a chance to win a national championship. But, again, you know, running back is probably the only position that I think – could petition to the NCAA to be able to get out early uh, because they are ready and because of the, the manner in which I think the NFL looks at them. Uh, so it, it's better that they get to the NFL sooner rather than later to take take away some of that wear and tear.
1: It's sort of wild and sort of crazy talk, but as I'm hearing your, your explanation and, and I'm thinking of things sort of as pragmatically as I can for, from the player's point of view – it's almost as if you could have a running back rule, which I know is not going to happen because when we talk about sort of rules that the NFL is going to institute, it's going to be, they, they love to sort of bright line things, you know, just a real big straight line that everyone can handle and it's, it's an age, you know, like when were you born and that's the, you know, or how long were you on campus or these kind of things. So it's two years here then you're eligible, that kind of thing. But you're, you're saying something that's very true and much more realistic that there are positions where that part doesn't matter. Now there are other positions where, hey, you know, go ahead and, you know, offensive tackles might play 15 years. So there's a little less writing on whether or not they make that decision at that point or not. But with a running back, you mentioned it. A, you have in your favor sort of the unknown if your body's still the same. Uh, and you and you also have sort of a diminishing return kind of situation. This kid might go out and play five, six years, you know, which isn't 12, which isn't 15. and And especially considering your earlier point that it might just be a single second contract. Wow, there's just so much, there's so much more writing on the decision at that particular position than if you were a quarterback, even or or an offensive tackle or a defensive tackle. Uh, it's just, but again, would I expect the the uh, the NFL to have sort of that flexibility? Probably not. They're not they're not going to dive into this that sort of minutia. But that. To me is kind of how it works out um anyway here we're going to transition to the final thought which is really the games which is crazy we had a week like this where the the, the dominant storylines generally had to do with stuff off the field but in that environment we got kind of a sneaky good week of, of big college football games and we'll, we'll just touch on these relatively quickly but obviously off the top we've got a thursday one real early here in the week that's that's super important ucla and stanford um what's going on out there in the pack you know obviously with us usc tripping up Uh, I'm starting to look at Stanford where if they they might have one of the best profiles as far as good national regard, if they were to win out, uh, because Northwestern loss is enough in the rear view. And I'm looking at some of the other teams in their division. And because the resumes may be a little bit more beat up, even if they ended up as the same one or two loss team, I just have this sort of feeling that. Stanford might because it's Stanford, you know, just because of the sort of feeling about the pro style system and that perception of toughness and all that. Do you start thinking if you're a Pac-12 guy or a Pac-12 fan or administrator or something? Do you start thinking about which is the team that we need to come through because they'll have the best reputation in sort of a which one of these champions should we keep kind of talk for a playoff?
0: Yeah, and that's that's such a convoluted question because. You said that when you look at the Pac-12 North, it looks like a clear path for Stanford. I and mean, then this is a big game, I think, uh, in the overall realm of college football as far as how people look at how dominant Stanford really is. They play such a different style of football because of, I think, uh, maybe some of their limitations in what they can recruit at Stanford. Because the academic standards are so high, they don't necessarily uh, – they're not able to get those fast guys you put in the slot and run those spread, you know, fast-paced offenses. What they do is – they recruit those 300-pound, really, really smart offensive linemen who are athletic, those tight ends that you see that they utilize so well, uh, and, those, and those other skilled players that can make it within the academic standards that are smart that they can work. They can utilize based on scheme, not necessarily all on talent. Um, and then they just right. play smash-mouth uh, smash football, which is kind of a rarity now in the Pac-12, and they're almost like preparing for Georgia Tech or Navy in the triple options. No one knows how to defend power anymore because all these high schools are running the spread offense, so... No one's seen it. Um, so I think uh, the Pac-12 should be rooting for Stanford to really come away with a dominant win versus UCLA, who I think would have been the favorite in the Pac-12 to really win it all had they not suffered so many injuries. I mean, they even – I don't know if anyone knows this. They had an uh, amazing defensive tackle on Eddie Vanderdose, who got hurt at the beginning of the season. Miles Jack, their, their power running back, but really more their linebacker, who also plays nickel for them um, in, right. their, in their defense that allows them to be versatile he was out with torn ACL and we, we saw the, the media deal with Jim Mora of unhappy with him. Um, yep. Now, now he's moved on here yep. for that, but they even moved over a guy, Mossy Johnson, who was a wide receiver at one point, moved him over to cornerback. Cause they had so many injuries. And then he tore his, uh, his knee up actually in practice uh, last week. So so like they continue to have this injury bug. And unfortunately, I just don't know if they're going to be, um, I, I guess, tough enough on defense to be able to stop Stanford. I think Stanford will be able to come away with this one and, uh, besides their, you know, early loss in Northwestern, which really, in the grand scheme of things, didn't look that bad, uh, Stanford looks to be the favorite in the Pac-12 now.
1: It's crazy, and, and it's 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 an interesting sort of dynamic to have, where as an as a conference, do you start, you know, sort of cheering for one of yours to go through because you think, wow, if this team ends up being the one that wins it, we've got a little lower profile or a little. Worst case to make for one of ours to go through, and and that's a situation in with five power conferences and only four four spots, and that also includes Notre Dame, which isn't in a conference, so uh, it becomes tricky now. So you start thinking about who do we want to go through, which is just kind of silly because that seems sort of anti-football and anti-competition, but that, that's the nature of things. Uh, sort of sliding here through some of the biggest games. I'm not going to give you much time this week on, on Notre Dame and USC. I, I think it's still a very important game because Notre Dame remains in the national championship hunt, but USC's taken a step back. That might just be interesting from the point of view of how do they respond, more storyline-type stuff, and knowing how difficult that trip usually is. Uh, any sort of quick hit thoughts on that, Brady?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, there's matchups all across the field that I'll be looking at, in particular, Adoree Jackson, an outstanding athlete for USC, plays kick returner, wide receiver, cornerback. He'll be matching up versus Will Fuller. That'll be fun to watch. Both guys have a ton of speed, and we'll see if Deshaun Kaiser can step up to the plate. And obviously, Jalen Smith, uh, off versus quarterback Cody Kessler for USC. Um, we'll see who gets the, the better end of that matchup as far as offense versus defense. Uh, and it's the 10-year anniversary of the Bush push, so that's actually – Besides Sarkeesian and his deal, that's been the whole storyline of of you know right. this whole matchup and all that. So we've been talking about it, but uh, unfortunately that that didn't work out well for for Notre Dame ten years ago. I think they're uh, in a much better they're in a much better place now.
1: I actually remember watching that game. Uh, you know, because when you're in the NFL, you're 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 traveling and on the road on Saturdays, and I believe that was a the Bush Push game was a night game, correct? Out there in uh, at uh, USC. Oh yeah, yeah and and we're we're in a hotel uh and because we're we're heavily involved in that because Charlie you know has had been our coach here And we're we're still at that point kind of cheering for him and watching closely how he's doing at that level. And I remember being in the training room, getting some work done at whatever hotel we were at on the road for some NFL game. And everyone huddled around watching that and just sort of the visceral reaction. And some of the people that were really in, in Charlie's court, you know, throwing stuff and being pissed off and yelling. And you had a, a training room full of people waiting to go to the team meeting and face Coach Belichick all huddled around TVs <laughs> watching that game.
0: No, just real quick, one rule. Everyone talks about the bush-bush, right? And, and it was it was illegal then. It's legal now. I never really had an issue with it because I think a lot of people, um, you know, would have done the same thing. I would have hoped my running back would have right. pushed me in, to, to get the win. Right. It was actually the play before where Liner was hit. Our, our linebacker knocked the ball backwards about four or five yards and went out of bounds that I have the biggest issue with because in the NFL, that clock continues to run. In college right. football, within two minutes, not only do they get the advantage of yardage, but they actually also get the clock to stop, which aids them in in trying to come back from that. So if we were playing under NFL rules, which make way more sense because it doesn't give the offense the advantage of fumbling in particular, uh, not intentionally out of bounds, and then giving the defense some credit, that game would have been over. We never would have had a bush push in the first place.
1: So we talked about Treon Harris and sort of his move back to the starting quarterback position of Florida. This is a week where you don't have a lot of time to to sort of get up to speed. There's no uh, Southern Miss on the schedule or anything like that. you got to go to LSU. <laughs> you got to go to Baton Rouge and uh, play against a hot LSU team. So that is going to get resolved real quick. There will be some separation in the SEC from that game. Uh, moving on down the line here, uh, if you'd have told me a year ago uh, that Michigan State Michigan would not for sentimental reasons and not for rivalry reasons be one of the biggest games in college football at the sort of midway point here. I would have told you you're crazy. Uh, we've watched Michigan sort of flounder for, se- for years and years and years uh through the end of the Lloyd Carr stuff to to onto to to Brady Hoke and, and all these other sort of middling kind of output that those guys have had for years where you know we'd have to sort of drum up the interest for this game because hey it's still a cool rivalry and hey it's still important for recruiting and hey Michigan State's still involved so Michigan might play spoiler Michigan State is currently an underdog, <laughs> which is such an unusual and and quick change of events in college football. Uh, D'Antonio has just got to be beside himself, you know, because he's always had that sort of little brother syndrome in the state anyhow. And now all of a sudden, Mr. NFL coach comes on campus in Ann Arbor and uh, things are things are dramatically different just months later. So how is Stantonio sort of uh, motivating the guys this week? Anything sort of just logistically on the ground that you think will decide this game in the end?
0: Um, I think the biggest thing that's going to decide this game in the end is the overall playing ability uh, of quarterback Connor Cook. I mean, look, this is one of those games where, okay. yeah, he's going up against a tough defense in Michigan, but I think also um, this defense hasn't necessarily been tested. And when they were at the beginning of the season, they lost to Utah. So I think this is probably – the actual best team that they'll face all year, at least offensively. I know Michigan State has suffered some injuries on both sides of the ball, uh, and that's actually been part of the reason why that line has moved more in favor of Michigan and the fact that it's being played in Ann Arbor, where three years ago, Michigan won a very close game, uh, 12-10. to But since then, it's been all Michigan State. And, and Matt, I'm with you. I think this is a big slap in the face to Mark Antonio and the record he's built. That 30-3 and record he's built over the past three years. uh, I'm I'm a bit surprised that they're not giving him more credit And then getting, you know, Jim Harbaugh, I understand it's his first year, uh, but this Michigan team didn't even look competitive talent-wise last year versus many of the Big Ten teams. And now all of a sudden they're a favor versus Michigan State. I'm really curious to see how Sparty responds. Well,
1: as I watched Michigan a week ago, I I think it's still evident that uh, how how important coaching is at this level because you you can see the change. You can see the difference. And a lot of those guys – I remember them from a year ago and watching them and figuring out why they couldn't get more out of them. So I think putting guys in positions to be successful is still important, but it is interesting to me as I, as I sort of hold these two teams side by side by side with one another, I think Michigan state has more athletic talent. I think Michigan state has a lot better football players in a lot of, in a lot of important positions, which is weird to say, you know, Shalit Calhoun some of these guys, there's there's no player like that on the Michigan side of the ball. Uh, but you know, it, they have the opportunity to play spoiler, but I still look at Michigan State as an opportunity here to not scuttle and to stay in the national picture talk. If for some reason they get knocked here, I don't think Michigan will ever rise into that conversation. I think people's attention will just shift back over to Ohio State and figure out if they can kind of hold on to their pants and ride this thing out. So I think it's a very, very important game, not just for interesting storyline things, but also for how the Big Ten as a whole will be perceived going forward. On the other side, we do have Iowa and Northwestern. We won't spend much time on that, but if I Iowa handles Northwestern in a similar fashion to what Michigan did. Uh, all of a sudden, they become relevant because they'll, they're going to be the West representative. I think what we'll get from them once you get to a, uh, a Big Ten championship kind of situation that that'll be a complete question mark because Iowa plays no one this year. They they beat Wisconsin in an ugly game, and Wisconsin's not the same. Uh, Minnesota's on the roster you know, is on the schedule. Nebraska, who's not you know quite at the level they were a year ago it's just they'll they could potentially beat northwestern this week and be relatively untested all the way out and we'll know nothing from them and they might have a very clean record so the the important part is what's going on on the east side of the big 10 docket right now and we'll learn a lot after this weekend um so one of the final game here that sorry go ahead
0: could you imagine if iowa wins out Iowa goes and plays in the big 10 championship game if michigan wins out They'll be meeting them there, and guess what? You've got quarterback Jake Rudolph who is the Iowa yeah, exactly. transfer to go to Michigan now, facing off versus the old team. That'd be a nice storyline.
1: And and as an Iowa fan and someone who grew up out there, I, I don't think there was anyone who didn't want Rudolph to to happily go down the road. You know, not didn't hate him, but was happy to see that they were going to make the transition to CJ. So I think it's it, it would be a cool little thing. But uh, I was still just you know. They went ugly uh, and they haven't been tested, so it's very difficult to sort of project them forward. Uh, it's it's kind of cool here, and you don't usually get in this situation where we've gone through three, four, five of the biggest games that are going to be in college football. We've talked every storyline you could possibly talk in a week where it was very storyline heavy, and we haven't touched on Alabama A&M which is, you know, the, the 10th and 9th ranked team in the country, respectively. And these, these guys have, again, another opportunity uh, to sort of make some movement in that SEC. The, the, I think the attention with Florida and LSU will probably be your one game, but this is 1B. And uh, Alabama sort of brought themselves back into the conversation by beating up on Georgia just recently. And now if they go put A&M in the rear view as well, they're in a situation to say, hey, don't forget about us.
0: Yeah, and I really feel like my only issue with Alabama this season is they've been a little bit inconsistent. um, Not so much on defense. I think it's been more at the quarterback position. Um, They've relied heavily on the run uh, with running back Derrick Henry and Kenyon Drake, and they haven't forced Jay Coker to have to do a whole lot. Now, he looked much, much improved uh, playing Georgia, but at the same time, that was a bit because he was playing from. A good field position after quarterback Grayson Lambert threw a couple picks because uh, Alabama forced him basically stack the box and beat him with his arm. And he just uh, hasn't really had that capability of doing it. He didn't at UVA before he transferred to Georgia. Um, and he really hasn't in Georgia when he's been tested. Uh, he's relied heavily on the run game, with Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle. So um, that, I think that was part of that factor. And, and, and when you're talking about Texas A&M, this game's being played down at College Station. We know what that yeah. brings. And that brings the 12th man, the true 12th man, um, the real the, one, the yes. Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> yeah, they try to steal a little bit, but um, that's going to play a pretty significant part, I think, in this battle. And you're talking about an NM team that's really earned its way back into the top ten, whereas last year they were kind of the heavy preseason favorite and weren't quite there. Um, had some quarterback changes going on, but now Kyle Allen's really solidified himself in that quarterback position. Christian Kirk has been, been become one of the biggest stars on the outside of wide receiver, and their defense. They brought in defensive coordinator John Shavis. He's been outstanding this season. He's got defensive tackles, uh, Dylan Mack, Miles Garrett, and the likes, um, really stepping up their game, penetrating the run game, pestering quarterbacks, and getting more turnovers. And that that's going to be a huge key in this game. I see Jake Coker struggling in part because they're going to stop the run of Derrick Henry, and they're going to pressure him and force them, him to try to you know throw more balls downfield. Um, and they've been very opportunistic on defense this year, coming away with some interceptions.
1: Well, we've been pretty quiet on this team. This will be the final game we touch on here. Uh, I, I think the the country kind of holds them in in sort of arm's length regard. Utah Utes got a real nice a real nice record at this point. They've beaten some impressive teams. They they were the first one to sort of send Oregon down on their little spiral. Uh, Cal uh, was a team that was held in high regard. They get all those interceptions a week ago against Goff, and I think, you know, but then they only win in a relatively close fashion when you have that many picks and still win in a relatively close game at thirty to twenty four. You know, I, I think it still keeps question marks in people's minds of how good is this team, and now they face in Sun Devil Stadium uh, the Arizona State squad who knocked off UCLA and really uh, kind of surprised the world with that and and put a nick there. So I think this is a really big game. It's it's not a a game of 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 ranked matchups, so I think it's, it's down the road a little bit from some of the other ones we mentioned. But if we're gonna bring Utah into the conversation with someone that might be able to challenge Stanford, it might be able to challenge UCLA if that's if it's that again or wh- whatever it is. There's if Utah's going to be a real player in the Pac-12, I think this stretch of Arizona State and USC in the next couple weeks will be a time to learn if they're for real.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to see too. You know, Arizona State had a nice win versus Colorado last week. Mike Burke finally got more involved. A little bit in some of the zone read running schemes that kind of opened some things up. And they had running back DJ Foster uh, in the backfield more at the beginning of the year. Now he's essentially a wide receiver. They, they ended up finding right. uh, a better place for him out there to get him touches. And that's changed the whole dynamic of their offense. And on top of it, I mean, you, you know, Arizona State, the team that's going to pressure whoever they're playing a ton. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Travis Wilson handles it. Uh, Again, this is a Utah team that's relied heavily on their run game and playing solid and sound defense. Um, We might find ourselves with Arizona State pulling off an upset and kind of inkling their way back up in the Pac-12 South after this weekend.
1: Well, there you go, uh, college football fans. That's all we've got for this particular week. But, uh, you know, schizophrenia, something where, something where it's difficult to sort of uh, focus on any one thing. In this particular college football week, we didn't even really touch on sort of playoff standings. We didn't really get into Heisman stuff. If your head isn't spinning after this week of college football, you know, God bless you. You're, you're better than me. Uh, there's so many different things to keep an eye on this particular week, and it's going to be a great one. Always enjoy discussing college football with you, Brady. Have a great week, buddy.
0: You too. Looking forward to speaking again next week, Matt.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes Stitcher and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from guys like Brady and myself and many more, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow on Twitter at fb. By FB. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football Insight by football players.
0: Night, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?